The Score Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by The Score Bet. That's right. We brought you the best sports media app. Now we're bringing you the best sportsbook and casino now live in Ontario, Canada. The Score Bet offers a safe and secure mobile sportsbook experience with both pregame and in-play markets. But best of all, it's integrated into The Score and our content to give you the easiest and most seamless sports betting experience. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Ontario only. Must be 19 years of age or older to participate. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to The Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Thank you so much for tuning in today, whether you downloaded the show in your podcast app or whether you're listening to it directly on The Score app or on The Score website, or if you found some other way to listen to the show that I don't even know about yet. Regardless, I appreciate you all the same. On today's show, we're going to go over the offseason risers and fallers in the NFC. And like I said during last week's show when we did the AFC this isn't just the draft risers and fallers. This is for the offseason as a whole. So we're going to break down everyone whose values have changed the most from the end of last season until right now. We're going to do it for every NFC team today. So let's start with the Arizona Cardinals. The biggest riser is James Conner because there isn't much competition for volume in Arizona's backfield now. I really like rookie Keontae Ingram. He could be a late round stash, somebody who could pay off really big if he does get an opportunity. But I don't see him or Eno Benjamin really carving out a major role when Connor's healthy. And the odds of Connor remaining healthy, those are always slim. But we saw him do it for 15 weeks last year. He did get hurt near the end of the regular season, but it was Chase Edmonds who actually missed more time than Connor. And when Edmonds was out from week nine to week 13, small sample size, I know, but Connor was the RB3 in fantasy points per game. The RB3 overall, not an RB3, the RB3. And it shows you the kind of upside that he can offer in this offense, especially around the goal line. A lot of that production was touchdowns. So Connor, really interesting this year, especially if his ADP stays down a bit behind some of the other big backs just due to that injury history. I will take that discount this time around. Even if you don't get him for a full season, it's going to be worth it. For the biggest faller in Arizona has to be DeAndre Hopkins. The six-game suspension for PDs kind of came out of nowhere He's withdrawn his appeal, so it's definitely going to happen. And six games, that's a long time to carry somebody on your bench, even somebody who has wide receiver one fantasy upside. So you're going to have to get a significant discount before I'd start considering Hopkins. Likely won't end up with many shares of him this year on my teams. Soon to be 30 years old. I mean, he's coming off a torn MCL. That ended his season early last year. Now he gets popped for the PED suspension. It's just not a great sign for his outlook. Next up, the Falcons. And there really isn't a riser or faller here because this offense, it's looking pretty rough, but I'll give the riser to Drake London because I wasn't totally sold on London as as a top-notch prospect. I thought he was a good prospect, but not really a top elite kind of guy. Had him in the bottom of the tier with Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams and Traylon Burks, but London went before all of them in the draft and he went to a team where the targets are going to be readily available for him. So it gives him an immediate shot to put up wide receiver three fantasy stats at least in redraft, and it makes him a little more interesting in Dynasty as well, for sure. Just remember, tight end Kyle Pitts, he's still probably going to be the de facto number one receiver in this offense, at least this year. They're going to form a pretty nice tandem, though. For the faller on the Falcons, I'll say Marcus Mariota, and this one isn't surprising, but with the team drafting Desmond Ritter, 
it means Mariota isn't likely to serve as the starter for the whole season, even though Ritter did fall to the third round. But there's a chance, I think, that he could beat Mariota out in camp. And if he doesn't, the Falcons aren't going to be in the playoff hunt. So at some point, they're going to want to see what they have in Ritter, which means he's going to get starts later in the year. So that makes it less likely that Mariota is going to kickstart his career in Atlanta and give you a full season of production for fantasy. On to the Panthers. We'll stay on the rookie quarterback theme here. Matt Corral's their biggest riser. And it's because I didn't see Corral as somebody who was going to turn into a long-term NFL starter. And he probably won't. But in Carolina, he's going to have a chance to compete for that job right away. Because this coaching staff, they do not want to start Sam Darnold for another year. You can tell by the way that they talk. They don't come out and say it, but they don't want to have to do that for another season. So Corral's going to get an opportunity at some point, either by winning the job in camp or during the season when Darnold struggles again, which I think he will. The only thing that could happen that could prevent that is if the team ends up going out and getting a vet, one of those guys that's still potentially available, a Baker Mayfield, a Jimmy Garoppolo. It still seems like Carolina is probably the best landing spot for Jimmy and Seattle is the right spot for Baker, but we'll see how that all works itself out. The faller for me in Carolina is DJ Moore, and it's not going to drop his ranking a ton, but we now know that the Panthers are going to come out of another offseason without finding a quality quarterback for more. And that's brutal. The guy just keeps producing no matter who's under center, but imagine what he could do with a good quarterback. I hope that they can find one for him next off season. Cause Moore just signed a new deal to stay in Carolina long-term. I don't know if that's the best thing for his fantasy outlook, but certainly got a nice deal for himself there. Uh, let's talk about the bears biggest riser and that's Darnell Mooney. We could also mention Cole Komet cause Nobody would have expected that the Bears would enter the offseason with just such a glaring need at receiver and only come away with this gaggle of journeymen and Byron Pringle and Equinemius St. Brown and Dante Pettis, these guys that kind of flopped in other places. I know they also took a rookie Velas Jones in the third round. He really doesn't project to be a heavy volume guy. In fact, I think his biggest contributions, at least in year one, might come on special teams. So you have Mooney just set up to see massive volume as the team's unquestioned number one receiver, and he's coming off a solid year already. 81 catches, over 1,000 yards, finished as a wide receiver three in fantasy points per game, finished as a top 24 wideout on the season, and now he's not going to have to deal with Allen Robinson there. So Mooney is an upside wide receiver three again with a chance to really finish even higher based on that projected volume. And then for Cole Komet, he finished among the top 12 at tight end in receptions and in yards with 60 grabs last year, 612 yards, but he had zero touchdowns. And now he's not going to have to deal with Allen Robinson. He's also not going to have to deal with Jimmy Graham, who continued to get usage around the red zone the last couple seasons. I have no idea why, but now Komet's not going to have to deal with that. He's got sneaky tight end one upside this season. And then the reason why Mooney and Komet are gaining value, it's the same reason why Justin Fields is losing it. And Fields has to be the biggest faller in Chicago because the team just refused to spend up and get him the help that you really should go out and get your sophomore quarterback. He deserves it. He needs pieces around him. They didn't do it. It's almost like the Bears are setting him up to struggle, but Fields, he's very talented. He's got the rushing ability. That alone could make him fantasy relevant. It's just with a few more additions, we might have been talking about Fields as a Trey Lance type breakout candidate. I think the odds of that happening now, they're pretty diminished based on what Chicago did this offseason. How about the Cowboys? Let's talk about Dallas for a second. The biggest riser there, Dalton Schultz. And yeah, I think you could make an argument for CeeDee Lamb, but we knew that Lamb was going to be good. 
does it help that Amari Cooper's gone and that Michael Gallup might start the year slow or even start the year on pop as he's recovering from that torn ACL? He might not be ready for week one. The team, they also added a pretty good rookie receiver in Jalen Tolbert, a, an intriguing veteran, James Washington, who was with the Steelers for years and flashed there a bunch of times. But we knew that Lamb had greatness in him, so he didn't really move up that much in my rankings. Schultz made a much bigger rise because he's the most likely to fill that void behind Lamb until Gallup gets back anyway. Gallup's going to have a great career. We just need to see him healthy again. That should happen. Maybe midway through the season, we'll see him get back to that. But Schultz, he has a chance to build on that top five finish last year, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was right back in that range again. So Schultz benefiting from the Cowboys offseason for sure. The man not benefiting as much, Dak Prescott. And no, this doesn't mean that Prescott's a player that you should outright be avoiding, but you just need to kind of recalibrate your expectations for him. Because a couple of years ago, we were looking at Dak like a top five fantasy option. Now you have Amari gone and Gallup hurt. And you have the Cowboys not really spending huge draft capital on a replacement for Cooper, just that third rounder on Tolbert. That makes it less likely that Dak's going to return to that league winner range, which is where he appeared to be a couple seasons ago before he got hurt. Since then, though, the Cowboys, they improved their defense. They really don't need to rack up the passing attempts like they did for a short stretch there. So Dak more in that low end QB one territory now. And personally, I would prefer a lot of the other quarterbacks that are kind of in the same range as him. The Lions are next here. This is a tough one where another team where there's not really a clear winner. So I guess I'll give it to Jared Goff because the front office, they didn't go draft a quarterback that's going to challenge him this season. Now, I think that's because their plan is to address the position next offseason. But either way, Goff is going to get another year as the unquestioned starter, going to get a bunch of new weapons to work with as well, not just the new additions of, you know, first round receiver Jameson Williams and free agent DJ Shark, but he's also going to get back DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson. Those guys are going to be healthy this year. They weren't healthy for most of last season. So I still have my doubts that Goff's going to be a true fantasy starter, but in two quarterback leagues and super flex formats, he's going to be fairly interesting this season. For the faller on the Lions, has to be Amunra St. Brown. And I know some of the comments people make on Twitter are really, really funny, but People want to debate this. St. Brown, is he good? Is he not good? Was it just the lack of competition for targets? Is that why he blew up late in the season? It can be both. He showed us he's a good receiver. He showed us he belongs in the NFL. But at the same time, having the return of a healthy Swift, Hawkinson, bringing in Chark, Williams, once Williams is recovered from his torn ACL, not sure if he'll be ready for the beginning of the season, but there isn't a world here where all these other guys are involved in the offense and St. Brown continues to put up the kind of numbers that he put up down the stretch. Maybe if he had an elite quarterback in that offense, but Jared Goff's not that guy. I don't think we're going to see St. Brown consistently get double-digit targets like he did. At the end of last season, every single week from week 13 on, he averaged 11 targets per game. That stretch, and every single week, it was double-digit targets. 10, 11, 12, and that's after the first half of the season, only averaged five per game in the first 11 contests. And his playing time didn't change that much. He was playing 65, 70% of the snaps in the first half of the season. So he's still going to be good for fantasy, just more of a, a wide receiver three, which is a big fall from what he, we saw him doing at the end of last season when he was putting up 20 fantasy points per game in half PPR and helping people win fantasy titles. So just keep that in mind. It's not hating on him under St. Brown. It's just acknowledging that he's going to come down a little bit from what he was doing at the end of last season. Let's keep moving here. Another NFC North team, the Packers. 
The biggest riser here is Christian Watson. And that's because I wasn't really on Christian Watson as a prospect. Incredible physical specimen, has the the size, the elite athleticism to be really special at the position, but he's also still learning to play receiver. He's incredibly raw. So I was skeptical about him. Now he goes to a situation in Green Bay where they need help replacing Devontae Adams. Watson's going to get that opportunity to do that right away. He's not going to be Devontae Adams, but it means that he should get a decent amount of targets and catching passes from one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. And Aaron Rodgers, that bumps him up. So he is a riser. There really isn't a big time faller in the Packers offense, but I think I will say that it's going to be Rodgers because losing an elite wide out like Adams, he's going to feel that. And Rodgers is still going to be fine. He's going to make it work in real life and in fantasy. The Packers are going to be competitive, but Losing Adams is going to lower Rodgers' ceiling a bit, and that's going to put him more in that low-end QB1 mix. On to the Rams here. Their biggest riser, Allen Robinson. And this one just comes down to the landing spot. We haven't seen Robinson be a fantasy factor in a little while. I mean, he's coming off that brutal campaign with the Bears, had career lows in almost every category, unless, you know, unless we count that 2017 season where he got hurt and only played one game. If we don't count that one, it was career lows almost across the board. And the debate's going to continue over the summer whether you know, the 29-year-old Robinson, whether he was declining or whether he was misused by Adam Gase and the Bears coaching staff last year or whether he just gave up on Chicago and that's what happened and that's why he played the way he did and had the stats that he did. From what I see, I think the truth likely rests somewhere in between all of those things. I think they were all impacting him, but he's only one year removed from a 1,200-yard campaign and the Rams is kind of the perfect spot to rehabilitate your fantasy value. Just ask Odell Beckham who was crushing it down the stretch last year in LA. Plus, now you have Robert Woods gone from that offense. You got Tyler Higby recovering from an offseason knee surgery. So after Cooper Cup, Robinson's going to be needed to step up and, and play an important part in that passing attack, especially around the red zone. So my projection for him, the yardage isn't huge. Only projected him for around 800 yards or so, but a solid touchdown total. I think that's what's going to boost him up. And it's not crazy stats, but that would be enough to put him in the wide receiver three conversation with a chance to be even better if he can prove to us that last year was just a fluke. And then there's not really a faller in this offense, but I'll keep a close eye on Higby just to see how that rehab's coming along. He had surgery after the Super Bowl. It was for that MCL injury that he had that happened during the NFC title game. So he should be fine for the season, but for now, a little further down my tight end rankings as a mid-range tight end too, a little lower than where he finished last year where he was the tight end 15 in fantasy points per game. Definitely has a chance to move up though if he's healthy. Let's hit on the Vikings next, the biggest riser here, and it's not a massive riser, but Irv Smith at tight end, because the Vikings, they didn't really add any impact pass catching weapons this offseason. And the recent reports are that Smith is almost running at full speed, which is great news after he missed last season with the meniscus injury. So he should be back on track for training camp. Justin Jefferson, obviously the top dog in mini, but Adam Thielen is going to be 32 years old this year. He's had some trouble staying on the field himself. And there really isn't another receiver there ready to step up. KJ Osborne, BC Johnson, those guys are more depth pieces, more third receivers at best. So the breakout for Smith at tight end, it could still be coming. Just he has to stay on the field this year. Hopefully he'll be able to do that. And then the faller for the Vikings, I'm not sugarcoating this, but this is really another team where there isn't that much negative to say about any of these players dropping during the offseason. So I'll go a little bit deeper here. I'll say their third running back. And I know you're saying third running back, that doesn't really matter for fantasy, but we did think that there was a pretty good shot that he was going to take over as the Alexander Madison replacement. If, and when Madison becomes a free agent after this season, and if Madison leaves, 
Now I'm kind of intrigued by Ty Chandler, the rookie they took in the fifth round. Similar draft capital to Nguanu. Both guys I think are worth stashing in deep dynasty leagues, but like I said, not a true faller on the Vikings roster. So we'll move on to the Saints here. Had a lot more action on their offense over the last few months. And the winner here, definitely Jameis Winston. I know they brought in Andy Dalton to serve as the veteran backup there, but we haven't really seen Dalton be that effective in a while. Whereas Winston, he actually looked pretty good to start last year. He was playing within the system, not making as many mistakes anyway. And sadly, we didn't get to see that over an entire season because he got hurt in week eight. But prior to that, in the first seven weeks, he was averaging the 17th most fantasy points among quarterbacks. And we can admit that that was mainly due to a couple massive week winning performances fantasy wise. He had five touchdowns in week one against the Packers. He had four touchdowns in week five against Washington. But he was also doing that with really a subpar cast outside of Alvin Kamara. What was Jameis really working with? Marcus Callaway, Deontay Harris, who's now Deontay Hardy. That'll be a little confusing for people, but he changed his name over the offseason. Now Jameis is coming back to this offense where he's going to have Jarvis Landry. He's going to have Chris Olave, the first rounder. And we hope Michael Thomas. There's no guarantees on Thomas, but he should be back. They say he's still got a couple more hurdles to get over with the ankle issues before they can clear him. But hopefully he'll be back this year. Alvin Kamara might be facing a suspension. We'll see what happens with him. But either way, the supporting cast, it's going to be much better this year. Some downgrades in the offensive line. I mean, losing left tackle Toron Armstead, that really hurts. But Jameis should have a lot more to work with in 2022, and that puts him in the mid to high-end QB2 conversation. On the flip side, the faller in New Orleans, we could talk a little more about Michael Thomas here because it's him. It's not just the lingering ankle issues and him not being back to 100% yet. It's the unhappiness that he expressed with the organization. Is he over that? Is that going to bubble up again at some point? It's the target competition that's there now with all those guys that I mentioned joining him. So Thomas still has wide receiver one upside in fantasy. But right now, I think he's far more likely to give you wide receiver three numbers in this offense the way it's currently constructed. I just I don't see him getting anywhere near the target totals that he used to get. 149 targets in 2017, 147 targets in 2018, 185 targets in 2019. He won't come close to that this year, but still somebody that's worth taking a shot on in drafts, especially if he's fallen a little bit. Another team with a lot going on this offseason, the New York Giants. The riser I want to highlight here, Daniel Jones, just getting healthy versions of Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay and even Sterling Shepard, those guys being back, Kadarius Toney practicing, hopefully buying into the new system here, even rookie Wandell Robinson, who I don't envision being a huge fantasy producer, he's still another weapon for Jones in this offense, but the biggest thing is Brian Dable and the new coaching staff. I have a lot of faith in Dable after what he did with Buffalo, you can be sure that he is going to give Daniel Jones the opportunity to be the best version of himself. Whether Jones delivers, that's another story. We don't know if that's going to happen yet or not. But that's why I think they also went out and got veteran Tyrod Taylor to be behind him. That way, if Jones falters a little bit, Tyrod could step in. And Tyrod's looked okay. I mean, he hasn't really gotten a full season opportunity. But in the limited games we've seen him in in the last couple of years, he looked all right. Jones, I think he has the tools to be a decent fantasy option. But he's got to find his rhythm in this new offense and he'll have the weapons around him to do it. We'll just see if he can come through with his end of the bargain. The faller here, it is probably Sterling Shepard. He's a guy who's been a pretty good slot receiver when healthy, but now he's got a lot of target competition, especially with some guys that just offer higher upside like Tony and maybe even Robinson. So it'll be tough for Shepard to be a fantasy factor just in this iteration of the Giants offense. He's not going to see the volume that he'd require to pull that off. 
That brings us to the Eagles. This is a fun one and another situation where the new additions on a team improve the outlook for the quarterback. Because last season, there were times when people were calling for Jalen Hurts to be benched, at least, you know, until Nick Sirianni got smart and went with that run heavy approach built around Hurts' skill set. Now they add a legit number one receiver in AJ Brown. That moves Devonta Smith into a role that I think is more suited for him as that high end number two receiver. That's what I projected him to be when he was entering the league. And you still have Dallas Goddard at tight end. You got Miles Sanders in the backfield. In addition to one of the best offensive lines in the business, Hertz is going to be amazing for fantasy this year. Might even push for a spot in the top five thanks to all that rushing ability. I just, I love his potential for 2022. We'll see if he keeps that job beyond that because they got a lot of draft picks. They could make a lot of moves next season if they don't think that Hertz is potentially the long-term option there. But I expect that he's going to have a really good year for fantasy this season. And then quickly, just to mention the faller, I would say that it's Devonta Smith, because as much as I saw him fitting in the NFL as a number two receiver, it wasn't out of the question that he could emerge as a number one. But with Brown there, Smith is relegated to that sidekick role. And once again, I think that's better for his career and his chances of succeeding. I think he would have been miscast as a long-term top target. But fantasy-wise, that volume that would come as the main guy He's just not going to see that now. So he'll need a big touchdown total to really make his mark in fantasy lineups. He's more of a wide receiver three for fantasy at this point. Let's keep it going here. Four teams left. The 49ers are next on my list. And the offseason riser in San Fran is Trey Lance. And you might be saying, how can that be? They haven't traded Jimmy Garoppolo yet. There's been some negative press about Lance. Some people saying some bad things about him. Well, I think we should quickly break this down. The 49ers, they go out. They spent a ton of draft capital to move up to get Lance last year. He looked pretty good in those limited starts that he had, but they wanted to stick with the veteran guy. They thought that Jimmy Garoppolo gave them the best chance to win and that Lance needed that time on the bench. You could debate that all day if you want. I do agree that Lance, you know, still was a work in progress. He needed to learn that Shanahan system a little better. I think he probably could have given them a higher upside than Jimmy Garoppolo by the end of the season, but it didn't look like Lance was overmatched against NFL defenses when he got out there. So that was great to see. And then at the start of the offseason, the plan was to trade Jimmy. Only Jimmy G had the shoulder injury and that scared teams away because he's not going to be ready to throw until the summer. Who wants to trade for a quarterback who can't throw yet? So teams backed off and slowly most of the trade partners found other quarterbacks, whether it was free agency or in the draft. And a lot of people were worried that this might open the door for Garoppolo to return as the starter. That's not going to happen unless Trey Lance gets hurt over the next couple months here before Garoppolo is healthy. Garoppolo is not going to be starting in San Francisco this year. I also saw some of the 49ers beat guys pointing out that the team wasn't marketing Lance in their offseason materials. I think that's because they want to keep up this illusion that Jimmy G could be in the mix for them in hopes that that could increase his trade value. Do I agree with that approach? No. But do I think that's their thought process? Yeah, I think they want to keep up the appearances that Jimmy could stay and be a part of their team in an effort to maintain what little leverage they have left in trade talks because they don't have that much, but they're trying. Then in the end, I think they're going to trade him this summer, maybe to the Panthers, maybe somewhere else if a you know starting job opens up somewhere and a team gets kind of desperate, but Lance is going to be the one under center. Any negative talk about him in the media, all that analysis, it is going to look silly by the time the season comes around. I cannot wait to see him in action in San Francisco. He's got a few more weapons now on top of the high-end guys that he has and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell. 
He also now adds a, a speedy rookie and Danny Gray on the outside. Might be a new number three receiver for him. Ty Davis Price in the backfield, who's more of a downhill runner, can give a little more pop to that backfield. Something that I think could fit really nice alongside a dual threat guy like Lance and someone that I think could really complement their lead back in Elijah Mitchell. So Lance's time's coming here. Despite some of those negative takes about him, he's still a riser here. I think he's got a great career ahead of him. We're going to see that breakout begin in 2022. As far as the faller goes for the 49ers, got to give that to Trey Sermon. The 49ers, they spent a third round pick on him last year. Then he gets beat out by a fellow rookie and sixth round pick and Mitchell, who we just talked about. And then Sermon couldn't even win the backup job, which went to Jeff Wilson once he was healthy. And the 49ers followed that up by drafting another day two running back this year in Ty Davis Price, who I expect to pass Sermon on the depth chart as well. So we might not even see Sermon on this roster by the time the regular season comes around, unless something changes, unless he improves over this offseason, which is possible. But that's a far cry from what we thought might happen when he got drafted last year. So he is a big time faller in that offense. Sticking in the NFC West with the Seahawks, can we say that everybody in this offense is a faller? I mean, is that allowed? Losing Russell Wilson, replacing him with Drew Locke or maybe Geno Smith, that's about as bad as it gets. I would still expect that the Seahawks are going to be in play for Baker Mayfield probably once he's released or you know, maybe if the Browns agree to take on more of his contract in a trade, that could facilitate a deal. So that would help matters a lot in Seattle. If that doesn't happen, the only real riser here would be Drew Locke or Geno Smith, whoever wins that starting job. And that's only in two quarterback or super flex leagues where you're desperate for a second starter because the results are not going to be great if one of those guys is under center this year. And if they are, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, they're going to take a huge hit fantasy-wise. I know we saw DK last year continue to produce when Geno Smith was under center, when uh, Wilson was out for whatever it was four or five games when he got sidelined around the middle of the year. DK continued to put up some decent totals, found the end zone. Lockett, I think, would be hurt a lot more because he's dependent on that precision and timing. He needs that chemistry with his quarterback, and Lock and Smith, they're just not going to have that kind of chemistry with him. Rashad Penny and Chris Carson should also be mentioned as fallers here because Penny, it's the arrival of second rounder Kenneth Walker, who is the favorite now to take over those lead back duties. I know what Penny did down the stretch last year. Remember, it was a contract year. Remember all the time that he spent injured before that. I know he helped you win fantasy titles, but Walker now is the favorite to come in after the draft capital they spent on him because it's been a long time since they spent that first round pick on Penny. Maybe it'll be more of a committee than I think, but I feel pretty confident that Walker is going to end up getting the bulk of the work there. And Carson, it's the arrival of Walker, but it's also what the arrival of Walker tells us. And it tells me that Carson's probably not coming back. The neck injury, it cost him most of last year, could be career ending, unfortunately. But overall, the Seahawks offense as a whole, they're fallers. We can move on. For the Bucks, it's almost the complete opposite of Seattle because Tampa, at one point, they thought they were losing Tom Brady to retirement. Now he's back. The fantasy train keeps rolling in Tampa. The riser that I want to focus on is Russell Gage because we saw Gage perform pretty well for the Falcons last year, specifically down the stretch. He posted the 21st most fantasy points among receivers. We know Tom Brady went out of his way to recruit Gage in the offseason as that new Antonio Brown replacement in the Bucks offense. And Brown was really good for fantasy last year. I don't know if people realize how good Brown was. He appeared in seven regular season games. In the week 18 finale, he only played 35% of the snaps, so I'm not going to count that one. So if we only look at the six outings where he played at least 40% of the snaps, 
AB averaged 16 fantasy points per game in half PPR leagues. That was fifth best among all receivers. Gage could see an even bigger opportunity if Godwin is slowed or unable to start the year as he's coming back from that torn ACL. So Gage has really moved up my rankings this offseason, and he's continuing to climb here. Depending what we hear about Godwin's recovery over the next couple months, Gage could move up significantly, even more. Right now, I have him in that wide receiver three, wide receiver four range, but he could be a wide receiver two in the opening month if Godwin isn't ready. And then the faller in Tampa, it's Gio Bernard, it's Keyshawn Vaughn. I think we can kind of group both those guys together. Gio's been a quality backup for a while. Vaughn was a third round rookie last year who we thought might have a chance to carve out a role in this backfield. It never happened. Leonard Fournette established himself as the main back there, and now they have rookie Rashad White coming in potentially as the new pass catching option. So Bernard and Vaughn well off the fantasy radar at this point. And then we'll finish up with the Washington Commanders and their biggest riser. Sadly, it's Carson Wentz because somehow he landed himself another starting gig after disappointing in Philly, after disappointing in Indy. It's pretty impressive that he's been able to do this. Plus, there aren't really many risers in this Washington offense. So we'll give the nod to Wentz and his ability to keep his career going as a starting NFL quarterback for fantasy. He really is only going to be in consideration in two quarterback leagues, though, maybe as a bye week replacement if he's got a good matchup, but you're not really looking at him in single quarterback leagues at all. And this might be his final chance before he settles in as a long term backup somewhere. And for the faller in Washington, we've talked about him before, but Antonio Gibson, Washington is telling us something. They bring back J.D. McKissick. They draft Brian Robinson on day two. They're already talking about Gibson and Robinson, giving them that one two punch. So you have McKissick stealing the passing down work. You got Robinson stealing some of the early down work, some of the short yardage stuff. And that has to hurt Gibson's fantasy outlook. He's just never going to get that three down roll that we hope for him. So he's fallen from the fringe RB1 range to the low end RB2 range. And in Dynasty, his outlook is really in doubt because Washington, they clearly don't think he's up for the job of being a high volume back. And it's too bad because the skills are there, but Maybe they don't think his body's up for the challenge. I don't know. It's okay, though. We adapt. We change our approach. And that means we're really avoiding Gibson in almost all formats, unless he's going to fall multiple rounds in this year's draft. And that's it for risers and fallers. AFC last week, NFC this week. It's the end of today's show. Just remember, lots of new content lately over at The Score. My 2022 strength to schedule matrix is up. That's got the sortable tables to show you which players have the best fantasy schedules this season at every position. And that's in addition to the best and worst early season schedules article that I wrote last week. Make sure you check that out. Plus, we got breakouts and busts and sleepers. I'm working on all that stuff now, so be on the lookout for those. And I've also done a lot of guest spots over the last couple of weeks, so you can listen to those episodes. You can watch the videos for those shows. The links are all up over at my Twitter page, at Justin Boone. As for me... I will be back next week with another episode, but until then, big thanks to John Bosch, who organizes all the Fantasy Cares Eliminator Leagues. They're really fun, sort of a survivor style where the team with the lowest score gets kicked out each week during the season. Proceeds are going to charity. It's grown a lot over the last couple of years, and John does a ton of work to get those going and to keep them rolling as well. So big thanks to him for that. And as always, big thanks everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said, leave on time, leave on time with me.